Welcome to another inspiring message recorded at Rivers Church. Joshua Harris wrote a book called Sex is Not the Problem, Lust Is. Sexual Purity in a Lust-Saturated World. And this is what he said. He said, the truth is that Jesus didn't come to rescue us from our humanity. He entered into our humanity to rescue us from our sinfulness. He didn't come to save us from being sexual creatures. He became one of us to save us from the reign of sin and lust, which ruins our sexuality. Isn't that amazing? You know, I talk to people and uh, you mention the word lust and it's like, what? What is that? Is there such a thing? Other people will say this. What's the big deal about lust? Surely if you're looking at something and you're enjoying it, it can't be any harm in it. I mean, you're looking, they're not being affected. If I'm at home watching pornography and I'm really enjoying it and my younger brother or sister isn't there and no one knows, my wife or husband doesn't know, surely that's okay. What's the big deal? See, the problem is we don't understand the word lust. We've lost sight of what lust is and that's why we're in such trouble. And as long as we don't harm anyone, we kind of feel it's okay. But what we do need to understand is, we need to understand what lust is, what lust does, and then we can make up our minds about what God said about it. So I want to speak to you tonight, I've entitled the message, what's the big deal about lust? Because that's an often asked question. And I want to give you four def- definitions of lust. Then I'm going to give you five lies that people tell themselves. We're going to look at some things that, that lust is, and then we're going to look at some ways to overcome it. So you know where I'm going? I'm not like God without beginning or end. I will end at some time. <laughs> so what does the word lust mean in the Bible? The first definition is this, overstrong desire. Overstrong desire. And it's explained in many verses, but one verse in Mark chapter 4, it says, and these are they, people, where they receive the word, are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things, in other words, a desire, strong desire for something else, enters in and chokes the word, and it becomes unfruitful. So I mean, you know, God's given us desires, but when it's over strong, it kills everything else that's of God. And when you let lust rule in your life, it'll choke out the word of God. Second definition is sexual greediness. Wanting more than we're supposed to have of a good thing. You all know what the word greediness is, eh? It's a legi- food is a legitimate desire. We have legitimate appetites, but when we just want to eat and eat and eat, then it's greediness. Because we want more of a good thing, and lust is really exceeding the limits set by God on a good thing. Because we have natural appetites, and we're meant to eat and enjoy food. But guess what? If you keep eating too much of a good thing, you end up with heart attacks, overweight, your lungs, your legs, your joints, everything gets affected. And the same way with sex, when there's too much, it does you damage in your psyche and in your spirit. Now, most people in the world say, don't be ridiculous. But if appetite is appetite, it's exactly the same as food. Something lovely to enjoy, but within limits. You'll know the story of Ted Bundy. He's probably one of the most famous killers in the world. Murdered 30 women, and it all started with overstrong desire, sexual greediness, where he wanted more and more and more. And it all started with lust and pornography. And then he ended up 
killing women because you know what happens to you when you end up in lust and you can't relate? You end up not being able to relate to a living creature. So what you do is he captured women and he held them prisoner, but then he couldn't relate to them. So what he had to do is he had to kill them so that he could then relate to their dead bodies. Necrophilia, having sex with a dead body, all starts with lust, sexual greediness. Quite scary. You say it won't happen to me. You don't know. You didn't think it would happen to him. You come from a Christian home. The third definition is this. It's getting very quiet already. I hope there'll be some murmuring of life by the end. Sexual desire, third definition, sexual desire minus honor minus holiness. See, we don't think of it like that. We just think of sexual desire. But if it's minus honor for someone and minus the holiness where it's separate, then it becomes lust. It becomes an empty thing. You want the body, not the person. Hmm? God's not anti-sex, by the way. He thought it up and created it. God thought up the body. He thought up desire. He thought up the tongue. He thought up sexual organs. He wasn't anti that, but he wanted it in the confines of relationship. He didn't just want it to be minus honor and minus holiness. Something to remember tonight. We all need to embrace our sexuality, but not indulge it. So God's not saying, I don't want you to be a sexual being. No, just don't indulge it. There are limits. And the fourth definition is this. It's like eating without swallowing. Lust is eating without swallowing. You want the taste, the sensation, but you don't want the consequences. Oh boy, if I could eat without swallowing. Lint chocolate every night, cashew nuts, dates. Because I love the sensation of what it tastes like. But I have to accept the consequences. Hmm? It's so important to understand that lust is like eating without swallowing. We want all the benefits and the sensations, but we don't want what comes with it. And what comes with it is usually responsibility, accountability, and obligations. And our world says, no, we don't want that. We just want the sensation. So we've got to avoid the five lies that people tell themselves about lust. Here they are. Number one, it's my body. It's my body, man. No, it's not. 1 Corinthians 6 says you were bought with a price. You are not your own. Therefore glorify God in your body. The second lie people tell themselves is it's not harmful to look. But Proverbs tells me in Proverbs 6 and verse 25, it says do not lust after the beauty of a woman or even a man. You say, oh, it's men that lust. No, women, women have got an eye for butts. They have. <laughs> Make no mistake. And we spoke about attraction last week. So what happens is you're dating someone and then someone walks past and they look and then they ask this question, what are you looking at? And then they always get this answer, nothing. <laughs> because we try and deny attraction. And if you have a second look, we try and deny lust. But these are real issues that if we can understand them properly, we can have victory over them. So it is sometimes harmful to look, especially the second and third look. Because where you send your mind and your eyes, your body will follow. Number three, this is another lie. God doesn't mind a little. No, no, no. It says in Ephesians, chapter five and verse three, that there shouldn't even be a hint of immorality. So God doesn't say, if you do it a little, I'm happy, but if you do a lot, I'm cross. No, no, no. He wants you to live right. Then number four, it doesn't harm anyone. No, it does. 2 Peter 1 tells me that there's corruption in the world because of lust. There's a decay in our society. So it does harm people. Because inner attitudes become outward behaviors. 
Number five, this is a common one. I can't help it. It's the way I am. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians that we must learn to control the body, not in lust like the heathen who do not know God. So we can't convince ourselves that there's no big deal. We need to understand these definitions. Overstrong desire, sexual greediness. It's a sexual desire minus honor minus holiness. And it's like eating without swallowing. God says, no, no, I've got a plan and purpose for your life. I want you to understand how this works. In a, in a really nice book, Richard Exley, he, he's written a book called Man of Valor. It's a book to men. And uh, I'll quote it to you. It's not on the screen. He says this. He says, lust is not the result of an overactive sex drive. It is not a biological phenomenon or the byproduct of our glands. If it were, it could be satisfied with a sexual experience, like a glass of water quenches thirst, or a good meal satisfies appetite. The more we attempt to appease our lust, the more demanding it becomes. There is simply not enough erotica in the world to satisfy lust's insatiable appetite. When we deny our lustful obsessions, we are not repressing a legitimate drive Lust is to the gift of sex what cancer is to a normal cell. Therefore, we deny it, not in order to become sexless saints, but in order to be fully alive to God, which includes a full, uninhibited expression of our sexual being within the God-given context of marriage. So you can enjoy this thing to the full baby but it's got to be in the confines of marriage. If not, you can keep feeding it and feeding it and you will never be satisfied and you'll end up with challenges in your life. So let me give you 10 important facts about lust and then I certainly will give you some facts on how to overcome it. Otherwise, I'll leave you depressed. <laughs> Number one, it's hard to let go of and all people struggle with it. And don't tell lies that you don't have lust. So any people who, who are dead, who don't lust. Even people in monasteries lust, that's why they're there. They went there to get away from it, but you can't get away from you and the body you're in and your thoughts. You can be in the confines of stone walls, but your mind, you'll remember, I remember, oh, help me Jesus. They did a survey amongst young people and they found that the number five thing that most people wrote that they struggle with is sexual lust. It's a big issue in people's lives and because of the fall, we struggle with it. And the thing with it is, is, is we struggle with it, but sometimes we don't want to be free from it. It's like mixed feelings. Do you want to be free? Yes. No, just a little bit. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Great Divorce. And in the book, he tells about a man who is plagued by lust, and it's the, the, the story of this man is like an, uh, uh, an allegorical story in a tale, and, and lust is like a lizard on his shoulder, as you can see in this picture. And then the angel comes to him, and he's plagued by lust, and, 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 and this, this lizard whispers in his ear seductively every now and again, and the angel says, do you want to be free from lust? He offers to kill, and the man makes excuse after excuse to the angel, and, 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 and the man says, okay, eventually... Okay, all right. And then the angel takes the lizard and he throws it to the ground and the lizard doesn't die. As it hits the ground, it breaks and then it gets transformed into a stallion. And the man jumps on the stallion and he rides it into the future. And that's what lust is. When it's been dealt with by God, 
it becomes a proper vehicle to take you into the heavenlies. But while it's not given to God, it's a lizard on your shoulder that reduces you into a slimy creature. And every person struggles with it. The problem is we don't want to be free from it. We do want to be free from it. I think it's time we say, Lord, deal with it and help me. Number two, it applies to both sexes and to all people. And they say women feel more ashamed of lust than men do. But men do lust after women and women do lust after men. And some women like to be lusted after. That's why they dress the way they do. Now, here's the thing. It's okay to dress to attract. Dress nicely to attract. But if you're dressing so that people will lust after you, you're trying to get your identity out of something that's shallow. Hmm? See, this is what happens. Women dress to attract a man sexually. Then when they attract a man and he teach, treats them as a sex object, they want to become political about it and they want to start 16 days of activism. <laughs> you started it. Now, you can dress very beautifully and you can dress very nicely without being skirts to the floor, but there's a motive and there's a desire behind it. And women need to understand that men are driven by sight. Women are driven by power, by money, by status, and by strong men. Men are driven by sight. Doesn't matter if she's got no money, just if she's good, she's... <laughs> Amen. So it applies to all people, and uh, I think dressing attractively is different to dressing to attract. And you need a lot of wisdom. That's why the Bible says women should dress modestly. Number three, it's fed by the entertainment media. You need to understand that the television, the movies, Netflix, all the plots and storylines are designed to feed lust. And it's becoming more and more difficult. The sex scenes are not, oh, they happen to put it in. No, it's like a recipe. It's, it's like baking a cake. You put flour in it. When you make a movie, it has to have sex in it. It's an ingredient. It's an important ingredient of a good movie. And the more it stimulates you, the more it's a good movie. Have you noticed how they talk about all the movies? Hmm? Fifty Shades of Grey. How come everyone knows that movie title? Because every time it's sexual, it hits the headlines. Because lust is, is fed. And we kind of, no, we, we, we don't know about it, but, we, but we'd like to. Number four, we can never totally abolish it from our lives. Pity about that, eh? You see, sex is a legitimate drive that God's given us. So you can't come forward for prayer and have it cast out. When I was a new Christian, we used to have prayer lines. Hey, people in the room with a spirit of lust, come forth. We're going to cast it out in Jesus' name. Some poor young teenagers, back and forth and back and <laughs> back and forth. <laughs> In fact, if you come down here and have it cast out of you, by the time you're in the third step and you spot someone, come back. <laughs> That's, it's like trying to cast out your appetite. You, you have been given God-given appetites. But you've got to manage it. So when you understand that, you understand God's design behind it. It's not given it to you to taunt you, to drive you crazy. Isn't that true? We've got to deal with it in the grace God gives. Number five, it has to be rejected and seen for what it is. So you can't have a diet mentality with lust. I'm going to have a little less this week. No, you've got to, you've got to deal with it. Hmm? You can't just have a nibble. I'm on a strict diet. I only lust on Mondays. No. 
Ephesians 5. <laughs> I'm glad you're laughing. <laughs> Ephesians 5, watch this. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. What is immorality? It means breaking God's law in the realm of morality. Or any kind of impurity, watch, or of greed. Can you see why it attacks greed? It's not talking about food. Because lust is sexual greediness. Because these are improper for God's holy people. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, there you can see the word tucked in there, such a man is an idolater. In other words, he's made sex his idol, or her idol, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words or empty movies. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world. See, we grow the fruit of the Spirit, but lust is like a weed. And if you leave it, it'll overcome the fruit. It'll choke the fruit. And we've got to understand that we must reject it for what it is, but we need to embrace sexuality for what it is. Correctly. Number six. I said there were ten, eh? Just so that you know. Here's the thing about lust. Not sexual desire, lust. It can never be satisfied. When you allow lust to rule, it becomes a cycle of lust that leads to dissatisfaction. And people end up, oh, I need to get married. No, no, even when you're married, if you've allowed lust to rule, lust will rule in your marriage. You see people married and they're married to really nice looking partners and you'd think they'd be satisfied. The reason they isn't is because lust is ruling and you've let it run riot in your life. Now you, suddenly you think you're going to stop. And this is the funny thing. People have bachelor parties and, and they have nude girls there. And they have guys, you know, the, the guys with the top hats and the things. And for the girls and on there doing all this stuff. And then, and then I'm going to put that behind me and I'm getting married. Are you dreaming? You just stirred it up the night before. Now you're suddenly going to forget it. We're mad. You've got to deal with this thing because even if you're going to marriage, it won't go. See, you can spend your life looking at pornography and no one seems to get hurt. You know what you're doing? You're looking at a variety of people at their best, by the way. They don't just take people, oh, you want to be in a porn movie? Oh, fine. No, they take measurements. <laughs> they examine you for scars and then they select you so that you can be completely dissatisfied with normal people. Now you get married to a normal person, they have babies and they get stretch marks or things start to sag. What are you going to do? You've been comparing, your whole life you've been comparing. Now you think you're going to be satisfied. It's not going to happen. You've got to understand how this stuff works because it causes damage, church. Hmm? Ephesians chapter 4. This is what happens to us. It can never be satisfied. It says this, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, watch this, with a continual lust for more. When you give yourself over, you just, it never becomes enough. You need more and more and more. Rabbi Zacharias said this, he said, pleasure without God, without the sacred boundaries, will actually leave you emptier than before. And this is biblical truth. This is experiential truth. The loneliest people in the world are amongst the wealthiest and most famous who found no boundaries with which, with, with, <laughs> no boundaries within which to live. See, when you're rich and famous, you can do what you like, but that exactly is the problem. You end up just messed up. 
So it can never be satisfied. People think, oh, if only I could have every whim. No, you're not designed for that. Number seven, are you still good? It puts us in a prison of corruption that damages us. And I've kind of alluded to this, but lust is damaging our world. Overstrong desire. You you know what I can liken it to? Those of you who got got cats, I'm not fond of cats. I like them at a distance. Just my preference. If you stroke a cat's paw, you know what happens? The more you stroke it, those of you who got cats, you know what happens? The claw show. And lust is like that. The more you stroke it, the more the claws come out. It's all soft and tabby and it damages us in the long run. And you think something so gentle can't do that. 2 Peter 1, 4, let me remind you, wherefore are given to us the exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. All the problems that we're having in the world is because of overstrong desire. Debt is overstrong desire for material things. All the challenges we're facing in our world, the anger, the divorce, the food issues, the health issues, overstrong desire. Isn't that true? Materialism. And instead of freeing you, it actually makes you a prisoner. Lust makes you a prisoner instead of setting you free as it promises. There's a fascinating story by Thomas uh, Costain in his history of what's called the Three Edwards. In the book he tells of the history of uh, these dukes of Belgium and one of them, Reynard III, was in power. Big man and very, very... Uh, fat, they called him Crassus, and uh, his brother, uh, who, Edward, who wasn't leading at the time, but uh, Reynard was, and one day Edward rose up and he took over the kingdom, and uh, he put his brother Reynard not in a prison, he built a house for him, in fact it was like a castle, and it had no bars, there were no guards, he just put, put he built this house around him. And he could leave at any time he wanted. But the problem was he couldn't fit through the door or the window. And people would say to him, how could you do that to your own brother? And he says, he's free to go at any time. But guess what? He sent food there every day. And he fed his brother. And he kept him big. So he was a prisoner to himself rather than to Edward. After 10 years, there was a revolt. And Edward was overthrown. And his brother came out, but he only survived for one year. He had been a prisoner of his own appetites within that castle. And that's what happens with lust. It makes you a prisoner, even though you at any time are free to go. But you've made yourself a prisoner to your desires. Number eight, it divorces sex from the hard work of relating. See, we don't want to bother with relating to someone. Turns a person into an object. Makes sex an exercise, like going to gym when it's part of a loving, stable relationship. I'm always amazed when I watch the movies, I'm having been married as long as we have, and having raised a family and been in church life, I'm amazed when I watch the movies, how people tear each other's clothes off, they're all over the place in the bed, and then the next morning, quietly. (laughs) And then the person wakes up, Are you going? Yes, I've got to go. (laughs) In other words, rat, you woke up. 
This is not a piece of cake you can just eat and there's a person, a living soul that Christ died for. We don't want the hard work of relating, but we'd like the other hard work that goes on the night before. Number nine, this is important to say, it's a shameful thing that needs to be dealt with as such. You say, oh, come on now, that sounds like the church is trying to make us feel guilty. No, just go back to the word. If lust is over strong desire and it's destructive, we must call it what it is. Now notice here in Job, Job is speaking about this and he says, if my heart has been enticed by a woman, or if I've lurked at my neighbor's door, then may my wife grind another man's grain and may other men sleep with her. He's talking about serious punishment. For that would have been shameful, a sin to be judged. It is a fire that burns to destruction. It would have uprooted my harvest. Don't call this thing harmless. That's a win. People come to me all the time in the fire. Where in the Bible does it say we can't live together? How much time have you got? <laughs> hmm? No, it needs to be dealt with what it is. Number 10, okay, your pain can end now. Number 10. It can be controlled by a renewed mind and perspective. Our mind needs to be renewed and our perspective needs to be renewed. And when we see it for what it is in the context of God's design, then it becomes a wonderful thing rather than a terrible thing. But your thinking and your perspective is all important. Romans 12, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, not the removal of your mind. You need to renew your mind so you see it as God designed it. Hmm? Now watch this in Matthew chapter 5. I love this. Verse 27, and I'm using the message translation, which I don't often do. He says, you know the next commandment pretty well too. Don't go to bed with another spouse. But don't think you've preserved your virtue simply by staying out of bed. Your heart can be corrupted by lust even quicker than your body. Those leering looks you think nobody notices, they are corrupt. Let's not pretend that it's easier than it really is. If you want to live a morally pure life, here's what you have to do. You have to blind your right eye the moment you catch it in a lustful leer. You have to choose to live one-eyed or else be dumped on a moral trash pile. <laughs> Pause for a moment, every head bow. <laughs> I mean, that's tough stuff. But you know, what he's saying is, he's not, he's not saying you, you just, just let it go. He's saying, hey, you have to correct your perspective. Because if you don't, you'll end up, your life will be decayed. This is not the route to fulfillment. This is the route to discouragement, confusion, and hurt. Hmm? I love 1 Timothy 5, and this talks about perspective. And you've heard me quote this over and over if you've been at Rivers Church any number of years. Paul writing to Timothy says, Treat older women as you would your mother, and treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. It's a posture you adopt. So when you see someone at church, a young woman at church, and she's got tight pants on, and maybe a midriff's open, and she's very attractive, and she's all, and then you catch her of that perfume. All you do is, hello, my sister. Because the minute you call her sister, everything changes. And girls, See, for the ladies, it's different. They operate from behind when they're standing in the meeting. (laughs) 
sure that's tight. My brother. (laughs) If you start to see people like brothers and sisters in family, you keep yourself from going over a line. See, forgive me tonight, but this is such important stuff. We've got a staff of 163 people, men and women, young and old. Many of our young men and young women are very attractive. What stops immorality from happening? Do you think the Spirit of God is in our offices going, hey, you? (laughs) No, there's a sense where we treat each other with respect. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we could never do that to a brother or a sister. It's unthinkable. So your perspective changes what you would do. And the more you have your mind renewed, the more you operate correctly. Can you say amen? It's when we lose that. So what is, what is lust not? Let me do this quickly. It's not lust to be attracted to someone and notice that they are attractive. That's not lust. Man, that person's attractive. To even say so, man, they're good looking. Man, that girl's beautiful. That's not lust. Are you with me? That's attraction. Secondly, it is not lust to have a strong desire to have sex. So all you young men, you can be like, Phew, thank God. It's a God-given desire. Otherwise, you'd be celibate. Isn't that true? Number three, it is not lust to anticipate and be excited about having sex in marriage. If you're a single person tonight and you're looking forward to being married one day and having sex at least five times a week, that's a godly desire. The problem is when you fulfill it outside of that. So don't feel guilty about the wrong stuff. Number four, are you all okay tonight? It's particularly quiet in the balcony. Are you all receiving something? It's great. Number four, it's not lust to experience sexual temptation. Every person experiences sexual temptation to give in to it is lust. But to experience it is not lust. Jesus was tempted in every way, yet without sin. Number five, it's not always lust to masturbate. You never thought you'd see that on the screen, eh? And don't come and talk to me about it in the foyer. I'm just preaching tonight. (laughs) See, there's a build-up in men and a build-up in women. And often we use it as a legitimate loophole to enjoy lust. But if if you're married and someone is sick for a protracted period of time and sex is not possible, masturbation in marriage is a legitimate way to relieve pressure. Just dead quiet. <laughs> See, why do you think? Why do you think people who end up with illness end up end, end up getting involved with a caregiver? It's because marriage is a place where sex is activated. You can't just switch it off. No more, boy. No, there has to be a legitimate way. But when it's attached to pornography, when it's attached to visual images, when it's attached to movies, then it becomes a sinful thing. But as an avenue of sexual, relieving sexual frustration in the confines of marriage, it's actually acceptable. And I'm saying it to you so that you understand the truth of this, not just one view of church where I'm saying don't, don't, don't. Okay. And number six here, what it's not. It's not lust to be aroused by someone when you've not made a conscious decision to do so. Sometimes you didn't intend to be aroused, but you were. Recognize it as temptation. Don't say, oh, there I fell into lust. So hey, hang on a minute. That was temptation I never expected. Let me deal with it and let me confess it and let me move on and not live in condemnation. So how do we overcome it? Eight ways to overcome it 
in three minutes. And there probably won't be question time. How many of you are getting some benefit from this? Look, I've put a lot of content in here, but I do think it can help you. So how to overcome it, probably I've touched on it a bit, but let's put it down in practical points. Number one, starve it, don't feed it. What you feed grows, what you starve withers. Hmm? Psalm 101, David who was, who was caught out with Bathsheba who allowed lust to rule his life, he made this confession. He said, I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. You have to make a decision. If I feed this thing, it will take control over my life. In Galatians it says, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap what? Destruction, not just inconvenience. And I'll tell you what, it's easier to abstain than to refrain. Think about that for a moment. If you abstain, it's better than to try and refrain. Because once it's lit, the fire rages. And we've got to understand this, how this works. Here's a good quote. Inside each of us are two wolves. One is evil and the other good. The wolf that wins is the one we feed most. Some years ago, you would have maybe remembered I told the story of how Eskimos kill woo, wolves. They don't hunt them with knives. They take a knife and they dip it in blood, then they freeze it, then they dip it in blood again, then they freeze it again. Until that knife is covered in frozen blood. Then they plant it in the ground upside down and they leave it there. The wolf sniffs out the blood and it starts to come. As it smells the blood, it starts to lick. As it licks, it keeps licking. And, and then the thirst for blood, like lust, takes over. And it licks and it licks and licks and it licks right through the ice and it doesn't know there's a sharp blade. And that sharp blade cuts its tongue to pieces. And as it's drinking, it's drinking its own blood until eventually that wolf is lying on the ground dead. That's what lust does to you. You're trying to get satisfied, but it's actually killing you off. You've got to starve it. Don't feed it. Number two, avoid legalism. You say, what do you mean by that? Legalism is, show me exactly in the Bible the scripture that says, you shall not move in with your girlfriend into flat 101. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> You're looking for rules and regulations. You know what they'll do? They'll bind you. What you need is a principle that brings the best out. A scripture's full of principles. But if you're looking for laws and rules, see, the Bible tells us that the grace of God doesn't mean you can just do anything. The grace of God forgives you, but then it gives you the power to say no. I love this in Titus. For the grace of God has appeared and offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. So God gives you grace the freedom and the forgiveness, but he also gives you with it the strength to say no. But we want some verse that's watertight. And can I tell you, there are lots of verses. But don't live by legalism because then you start looking for loopholes. Hmm? Number three, still good? This is important. Get close to God and seek to please God. Even if, even if it alienates your friends from you and alienates compromising Christians from you, Walk with the believers who are walking in the light of Christ. And if you walk in God's presence, generally his presence will help you. You get close to him. Come to worship. Don't, don't come into the worship as late as you can and, and leave as early as you can. Get into his presence for him to work in you. 
Because the message is helpful, teaching is helpful, preaching is very important, otherwise we wouldn't spend so much time in the services preaching and teaching. But you need the presence of God, where He speaks to you as only He can, and He tells you, hey, so what I want you to do, hey, I'm showing you this. And you know what, you know, the weird thing about it in a meeting is, you can have five people standing next to each other and each person is hearing something different. God says to the one person in the front row, I want you to just enjoy your life. Stop being in such bondage. Go home and have a glass of wine and relax. The ne very next person, stop drinking alcohol. You know, it's, no? you know it's messing you up and you know you're crossing a line and you know in your heart of hearts that it's alienating you from me. Then to the next person, get control of your money. Stop being such a spender and reckless with your life. That's why you're the next person, give. Go and buy someone something extravagant. That's how the Holy Spirit works. And the same with your sexuality. Now, just let me correct that. God won't in the meeting tell you, go home and sleep with that boyfriend of yours and then tell the other person not. No, but it's in his presence where you get close to him, you start to have his values. So, so important to get close to God. Hmm? 1 Peter 4 and verse 3, for you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans chose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. Take it. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Get close to God and seek to please God. Number four, avoid the things that trigger it. If you keep triggering lust, you're being foolish. Late night viewing. Hmm? People that push the boundaries, who touch on you. Open your buttons or rub your arm or other places. <laughs> Suggestive jokes. Hmm? I'll tell you what, look away instead of looking back. Hmm? And don't read stuff that's going to stimulate you. Don't watch Netflix when you know. It's better to switch it off. Or there's sometimes I watch it and I just press that thing and it goes frame by frame. And I can see, are oh, they dressed again? I carry on watching. Today it's getting hard to find any scenes where they're dressed anymore. But if you keep triggering it, you're going to end up with problems. Isn't that true? Joshua Harris, in his book, Sex is Not the Problem, he says this. He says, you need to list your own top three lust triggers. What are your top three? List them and how you can avoid them. What time of the day or week are you most tempted by lust? And what can you do to prepare for those times? Maybe it's a Saturday night. Maybe it's a Monday night. It varies. It depends where you're at. And then which locations are most tempting to you? How can you limit your time in those places? See, I can't say to you, you mustn't go to a hotel and sit in the bar and have a glass of wine. That's legalism. But if that's what gets you looking at men and women, and after you've had a bit of Chardonnay, you're like, yeah, maybe, hey. <laughs> then it's best to not. Hmm? I listened to a lovely song by J.R. It's called Temptations. And I want to play it for you tonight because he sings about something real. Anyone know J.R.? You people don't live. <laughs> but I play this in my car, and I've got a good sound system. I've got 10 speakers. And when I play, it's got this. So let's listen to the words of the song for a couple of minutes, because I think this is the challenge of many people. If you can relate to this, it can help you. Let's listen to the song. What up, y'all? 
Once again, it's your boy Nav, my man JR. Those guys again? Yes, sir. We're here to speak to y'all about temptations. Come on, man. You know what I'm saying? How that thing can get you caught up. Caught up. But I'ma let JR tell y'all the rest. Alright, come on, baby. It's three o'clock in the morning and there's a war raging deep inside of me. Hey, hey. One half wants to go to sleep. The other half wants to feed the lust in me. Such a dirty game. Dirty game. The dirty games that we play. So I reach for the remote control. Start flicking through the channels to see what I can see. And before I found it, my dirty, this is what I heard. This is what I heard. You supposed to be a mad guy. I come you acting like you don't believe in me. Lord, my will is weak. So, Father, this is what I pray. And I said, Lord Jesus, will you keep my mind? Lord Jesus, will you keep my mind? Lord Jesus, will you keep my mind? Because I'm weak in the flesh, I'm about to rise. Jesus, will you keep Lord Jesus, will you keep my mind? Lord Jesus, will you keep my mind? Lord Jesus, will you keep my mind? Because I'm weak in my flesh, I'm about to rise. Top of the month and the rent is due. So, I guess I gotta get on the grind. Another week before I get my last check Cause I just lost my 9 to 5 So I go into survival mode And I'm looking for some change to make I don't know if this change is good But dirty I got bills to pay The lights are off and the food is gone And I'm starting to break cause I can't seem to see the light of day But my faith's on fire And I need your guidance So this house will burn down That's just in your grace So Father, this is what I pray And I said Lord Jesus, will you keep my mind? Lord Jesus, will you keep my mind? Lord Jesus, will you keep my mind? Cause I'm weak in the flesh I'm about to rise Lord Jesus, will you keep my mind? Lord Jesus, will you keep my mind? Lord Jesus, will you keep my mind? Cause I'm weak in my flesh I'm about to rise I know the flesh is So how those words, you, you listen to that in the car and the chances are of you going off on the wrong track. It's the kind of music I enjoy. I don't listen to praise and worship because we sing in several services and I don't want the songs to be stale. But I need to hear stuff like this. And he goes on to talk about, hey girl, and are you, are you trying to get me going? Hey, oh Jesus, would you keep my mind? <laughs> <laughs> Avoid the things that trigger it and ask Jesus to keep your mind. Number five, quick, don't compare yourself to others. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. You know how many girls he slept with? You know what a so-and-so she is? No, 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 you just deal with yourself. Number six, relate on the basis of what you can do for others, not what they can do for you. Look to serve people rather than to be served. And your whole perspective will not be about taking and satisfying. It'll be about serving and ministering. Number seven, connect to the committed and live for the purposes of God. Stay connected to committed people because committed people will encourage you. They've got a vision for their lives. Isn't that true? And number eight, make a covenant with your eyes. Decide today that you're going to live in purity 
and you're going to honor God and you're going to be different to others. In the book of Job, chapter 31, he says, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. And this applies to the women too. For what is man's lot from God above? His heritage from the Almighty on high is not ruin for the wicked, disaster for those who do wrong. The message says, I made a solemn pact with myself never to undress a girl with my eyes. Has this helped you tonight? So four quick things on the screen. Look behind me here. We need to recognize this in our lives. We need to repent and turn away from it. We need to renew our minds and then we need to receive God's grace if we failed. And if we do those four things, you'll find, recognize, yep, Lord, I'm guilty. I repent of it regularly. Please renew my mind and my perspective and now give me the grace so I don't live guilty and give me the strength to live correctly. Guess what? We can live as sexual beings within God's limits and we can enjoy sexuality within the confines of marriage and we can honor God instead of adding to the problems in the world. Because if every problem in the world is a problem of relationships, we're either part of the problem or part of the solution. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.